Be blessed Love and uh, pray for us. I'll be praying for you. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries, and we are here tonight again with the Word on Wednesday. And tonight we will continue our journey through Second Samuel. Uh, last week we we were last week we covered uh, the conversation that Joab and 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 David had concerning. Uh, his son Absalom dying and David's behavior and and uh, what he did, all the things that were done. Uh, this week we finish this chapter and we're going to handle it a little bit differently because I need to stop and just take some time to let you see the what is going on uh, to to really really broaden the landscape. Um, Throughout the last maybe four or five weeks, we have been looking at the individuals within uh, this, these passages. But this week, I want to take a look and I want to branch out and I want to show, uh, I want us to kind of consider uh, the, what's going on uh, with others who are not named through, throughout these, these passages. And then we'll hone it in. The other thing that I'll do is I will walk through the entire, um, the, the, the rest of the 19th chapter, and rather than really, really um, uh, give application as I go through, I'm going to save the application for the end because there's a general theme that runs through the back half of this that I think that God is going to help us utilize that theme in our own personal lives. Amen? So, before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer, and then I want to give a, an invitation to anybody who does not know Jesus. Amen? So, let's do, let's do that. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. And we thank you for your word. We thank you, O oh God, that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathway. We thank you, O oh God, that you show us the way through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, Father, tonight I can provide commentary to your word, but I'm incapable of, of delivering the truth of myself. There is no power in my voice. There is no power in my word. But the power to heal and to lead comes from you. And so, Father, tonight I ask that you would speak through me by the power of your spirit, that those who have come tonight to share in this word would receive from you, from on high, a fresh word, a word of healing, a word of correction, a word of restoration, a word of encouragement, the word that they need to continue the journey of life with you. We ask, O oh God, that you would bless tonight. We ask, O oh God, that you would empower tonight. We ask, O oh God, that you would comfort tonight and bring peace. We ask that you would give life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I want you, the, to all of you out there who can't say that if Jesus came back today or if a tragedy happened and you were called away from this earth, I want you who, who can't answer Yes, I am going to heaven to be with God. I want to say to you that it doesn't have to be that way because your sins have been forgiven and Jesus has paid your sin penalty and there is no reason why you can't leave this earth going to heaven and being with your father forever and ever. 
There's no reason. The only thing that's stopping you is you and your belief. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that he died on a cross for your sins, if you believe that on the third day God raised him up again, if you believe that and 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 you believe that he died for your sins, then all you need to do is you need to confess that. You need to say that. And you need to ask him to come into your life and be your Savior. That's it. it the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And all you have to do is, if you believe it, then take action. Faith is acting upon what you believe. And so by faith, by acting upon what you believe, you can be saved. Now, if you do that, if you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior, if you make that confession, then you are saved and you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you do that tonight, if you make that confession, then what I want you to do after you've made that confession is I want you to find another Christian, somebody from a church that that believes in salvation, a pastor, and you need to go up to them and you need to say, look, I, I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior. Now what do I do? And they will teach you the way of salvation. They will teach you more and get you and help you on your walk with God. That's it, that, that that and you know, I can't do that in this particular setting, but I can introduce you. And once I introduce you, then then it's up to you. You got to go tell somebody. Once you tell somebody, they're going to they're going to take you in their arms and they're going to teach you the way. Amen. And that's really really important to do cuz I don't want to leave you out here, you know, by yourself. They're Christians who are just waiting, just waiting. So if you do that, uh, God is going to provide. Amen? So with that said, uh, I want to move to, uh, first of all, I want to welcome you to the family of God. And secondly, I want to move to our lesson tonight. Now, our lesson tonight begins in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19, and it's verse 8b where we'll start reading from. Now, what do you think is going on? David has won the battle. Absalom is dead. The, the Bible says, the Bible's going to tell you in this, uh, the B portion, that the Israelites have fled to their home. And when we say the Israelites, we mean everybody who came against David have gone back to their tribal areas. So uh, those that came down the, the, to go um, from Manasseh, they go, went down to their, back to their territory. The Benjamites have gone back to uh, the territory of Benjamin. Uh, 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 the tribes of Judah, they've gone back home. All, every tribe has gone back into their territory. And we saw that map of Israel. And so, you know, um, and I showed you the, the territory of Gad and all the rest of them. And so they've all gone home. And David is still in Maniam. And as he's there, there's, some, there's turmoil still within the kingdom. Because although the rebellion has been put down, now the tribes are literally uh, scattered. And that's the condition that we found them in, not unified, not as not unified as, as one nation when we first began our study over a year ago in First Samuel, that the tri each tribe was acting as an independent confederation, and there was no unity. And so when early on in our study, we saw how that allowed the enemy to come in uh, and overwhelmed them, but now in the situation that they're in, they're right back where they started. They are vulnerable to the enemy. They are vulnerable 
to the enemy. Jesus said in, 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 in one of the, in the Gospels, a house divided against him itself cannot stand. And one of they are concerned now because you know even though David has subdued all of the enemies, one of the things that you know is when your enemy finds you in disarray, when your enemy sees that there's a weakness, when the enemy sees that there's an opening, that enemy is going to to take advantage of that. They're going to throw off those shackles. They're going to throw off those chains, and they are going to come back at you because no matter what you've done to that enemy, that enemy is always lurking. And this is the this is and the rebellion has opened the door, not just uh, 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 to overthrow David from the throne, but the rebellion has opened the door to destroy the entire kingdom. Don't you think about that for a little while. Now, so with that said, and understanding what's going on in the background and the effects of what Absalom did and what a civil war, what a civil war does to Israel, we can pick up at Second uh, Samuel chapter 19, verse 8b. And there it says, Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Throughout the tribes of Israel, the people were all arguing with each other, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country because of Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So the first thing that we see here is that there is a recognition that that which they need, the leadership that, that they need is not present. There is a vacuum in leadership. And he says they're arguing with each other. There is debate concerning what's our next move because we don't have a king. David is not here. Absalom, whom we gave our hearts to, is now dead. We need to consider bringing the king home. There is recognition of what David had done for them. He says because he says he was the one that rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. Now that becomes. That becomes paramount. Now, there's there's some things going on behind the scenes, and, and you know the word doesn't tell me exactly what it is, but I can do some speculation, and the speculation is that when there is a uh, a vacuum in power, somebody is looking to fill it. Um, the claim of the relatives of Saul is still there because in the eyes of some, David has never been a legitimate king. In the eyes of some, there is that lingering feeling that he is a usurper of the throne. And there is this feeling, I believe, that others are saying, well, if he, you know, he wasn't in the, he didn't come from the royal line. And if he took the throne from Saul, why can't I do the same? There is somebody in some tribe that wants to advance to the throne, and it is causing a discussion within the tribes about who's going to be the next king. And what comes out of there is, you know, David did this. And he, he was the king. So the tribes, the ten tribes are all the, the northern tribes. Everybody except for Benjamin and Judah are basically saying, you know, we need to bring David back. Go to verse 11. Um, 
So King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my brothers, my own flesh and blood, so why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if from now on you are not the commander of my army in place of Joab. So now, what are you seeing here? First of all, for some reason, there is resistance from David's own people. David is from the tribe of Judah, and there is resistance to David being brought back to the throne by Judah and Benjamin. Where that resistance comes from, uh, I again, speculation, that's all I could do is speculate. Perhaps they are concerned because of the punishment that they might receive before turning on David and lining up with Absalom. Now I don't I don't I don't know the Bible doesn't say but but now you you have to understand that in 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 the kingdom there's still politics and there are political realities that we have to consider and somebody is saying that if we bring David back there's going to be consequences and so there is resistance within his tribe to bring him back. And now and what does he do? He says he says he says to Amasa, he says, Amasa, he says, I want you, if I come back, I want you to be the commander of the army. And there's there's a reason for that. Because remember, Joab killed Absalom in spite of David's orders. And David knows that. And this is not the first time that Joab has disobeyed David's orders. This is not the first time that Joab has been willful and, and did his own thing. And so because of that, David is looking to demote Joab and get him off to the side because Joab does not carry out the king's orders. Joab does what's convenient to him. If it's convenient and he, and he likes the order that David gives, he carries it out. If he's against it, he says, no, that ain't no good order. I'm going to do my own thing. And so David is looking to displace Joab. And Joab knows that. Now, let's go a little further. He says, he says in verse 14, he won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. They sent word to the king, return, you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. So, now again, his campaign to be restored to the throne is working. And so they tell him, come back home. He comes to the Jordan. And when he comes to the Jordan, this is where things begin to happen. And I want you to take a look when you get a chance at the importance of the Jordan. Because the Jordan is a place of life and death. Throughout the Bible, the Jordan plays a very, very prominent position. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it, it, it shows baptism, it shows dying, it shows renewed life. And so if you get a chance, just go through and look at all the, all the places where, 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 where the Jordan comes into play in the Bible, especially even the Old and the New Testament, because it's a very, very important place. Um, 
So it says, now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal. I'm at verse uh, 15b. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the fjord to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shimei, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I come here as the first of the whole house of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the king. Now, what's happening here? Remember Shimei and how Shimei acted a fool and cursed David and, and threw dirt at him and threw rocks at him and, and basically said, David, you getting your comeuppance now because you, you, you're a bloody man, you killed off Saul, you, this, you stole the throne, you're illegitimate, you this, you that, and God is paying you back. And remember, his, 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 uh, um, they wanted to kill Shimei, but David says, no, uh-uh. And now this Shimei comes back because he knows he's in a precarious position. But you miss something because Shimei is nobody's fool. He knows he's messed up. He knows he's in a bad position, but he comes and he brings his entourage to back him up. And David, we in, in this next segment, you'll see what David says, but David says what he says for a reason. And what's that reason? Look, he says, look back at verse 17. It says, with him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba. So what you have is David, uh, 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 Shimei comes, and he brings a delegation of strong men with him who would be able to disrupt the process of going back to Jerusalem and getting back to the throne. So there is a sub, there's a certain subtle political threat there. David is being welcomed back, in, finally, by Judah. But Judah and Benjamin was tight. And if Shimei starts some stuff, and his Benjamite brothers come with, go with him, in this new, the possibility of a new rebellion, then David is right back where he started. David has to make a decision. Look at the decision he makes. He says, Then Abishai, son of Zeruah, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointing. David replied, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruah? This day you have become my adversaries. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on earth. Now there's some, there's some language in here that we got to unpack. Again, as I said before, I'm going to go through the whole thing first before 
we do the application because the application is staring you right in the face and and I want I want to hold on to it until it, until we finish the, this whole passage. Amen. So look here. Here's what's going on here. First of all, David understands politics. David's been negotiating for a long time. David understands the situation and David has something in mind. David understands he is the Lord's anointed. So he ain't got to worry about, you know, this little situation. But it is not advantageous at this particular point in time to deal with Shimei. This ain't the time for that. And now look at what he says to, 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 to Abishai. He says when Abishai suggests to him that we need to get him now. You wouldn't let me get him before when he was doing all that stuff. But now, but now is the time to get him. Look at what he says. He says, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruah? This day you have become my adversaries. I'll show you what happened to you. When David says, to Abishai, that he is his adversary. Do you know what word adversary translates to in Hebrew? He says, this day you are Satan. The translation of adversary in Hebrew is Satan. Satan means adversary. And he's telling him, you and I have nothing in common. I am seeking the things of God. You are seeking the things of self. And he says, you sons of Zeruah. Basically, he's including Joab in that, in that thing. He says, y'all ain't for God. Y'all are not about God's business. And I have identified you now. And we ain't got nothing in common. You go ahead on away from me. That's literally what he's saying here. And then the king pardons, not pardons, but he basically tells um, Shimei, you ain't going to die. And he swore that he wouldn't kill him. He gave his word. He he swore an oath. He gave an oath that he would not kill Shimei. And so Shimei goes about the process. He and the, and the boys of Benjamin, they go about the process of helping David and his household cross over the Jordan on their way back to Jerusalem. And, and, and remember, they said that Zeba was with him. Now, remember, Zeba was, remember who he was? Who was Zeba? Zeba was the steward of Saul, who was over all of the land, who all, all of Saul's holdings, and all of Saul's holdings had been turned over to Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was responsible for, uh, um, David had made Zeba responsible for taking care of the lands on behalf of Mephibosheth. So Zeba, who has shown up, and and, and now remember, Zeba was the one, when David was leaving, who showed up with, with food stuff for David so they could be sustained in the desert. Mephibosheth, verse 24, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Zeba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you please. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king, but you gave your servant 
a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? Now, when we look at that word appeals, that word basically mean, means what right do I have to cry out to the king for more relief? How can, how, what right do I have to cry out to you when I know that me and everybody kin to me should be dead right now? And that you have been gracious and that you have been merciful to me. But now, and, and this is difficult. This is a very, very difficult part of this passage. And, you know, I love to say, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, but I can't prove it. Okay. I cannot prove it because we don't have the evidence necessary. I can't find it in the wording. I can't find it when, you know, I look at the, the Hebrew, uh, nothing. Now, uh, Mephibosheth presents himself as a person who has been in mourning, as a person who has been in mourning. He's not taking care of himself. He has been, he's just basically, uh, and I, we don't know the extent, the length of time that David was gone from Jerusalem. Uh, it was more than a day, and it was, it was, it was probably at least, at least anywhere between four, four months to a year that all this transpired. I know that, that, and when we look at the Bible, it looks like it's bang, 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 bang. But no, there's time that uh, that that takes place here. There's a lot of time that 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of time that passes in between events. Mephibosheth hasn't taken care of himself, and then he says. And Zeba didn't follow orders. I told him to get my donkey, and Zeba didn't do it. Instead of putting me on the donkey so I could go with you, he came and he ingratiated yourself to, do, to, to you, and he made me look bad. And he has said things concerning me that have made me look bad. He said, but I'm not, yeah, hey, whatever you want to do to me, do it because I deserve death. The king said to them, why say more? I order you and Zeba to divide the fields. Because David understands what Zeba wants. Mephibosheth has never asked for anything. David, because of his pledge to Jonathan, has been good to Mephibosheth. And he continues to honor that pledge. See, sometimes as we're, we're reading, we forget about all of the things that, that go along with it. But David continues to honor the pledge. And then it says, so he says, y'all just split this stuff. It's, it's plenty. Just split it. And then Mephibosheth said, let him take everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. He can have it. Which one of them was really true? In my opinion, okay, in my opinion, based on the, what I see, I think Ziva was just, you know, he was always after that land. But I can't prove it. And so since you can't, when you can't prove something, when it's speculation, that's what you have to say. It's just pure speculation on my part. Look at this. Barzili, the Gileadite, also came down from Rogalim to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now Barzili was a very old man, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanam, for he was a very wealthy, and I'm, I'm re, I started reading at verse 31. He was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzili, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, How many more years will I live, that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is good and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of men and women singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return, that I, might, that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, King Ham, Kim Ham. 
Let him cross over with my lord the king. Do for him whatever pleases you. The king said, Kim Ham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever pleases you. And anything you desire from me, I will do for you. So now David is ready to reward this old man who has been faithful to him, who has fed him when he and, and his family and shared his wealth with him. And now David is being the benevolent, benevolent rather, and he is going to reward him for his faithfulness. And the old man says, "No, man, I, I, there's no need of me coming. No, that, that's not that's that's no good for me." He said, "Take my take King Ham." Now, Kim Ham, we believe, is um, Barzillai's youngest son. And what he's doing is he's putting him, his son in a better position because I don't know how many sons Barzillai has, but the youngest boy, you know, he's usually getting the short end of the stick. The oldest boy gets, gets a double share. The younger boy, uh, all of the rest of the sons will get equal shares. But I guarantee you, when they lining them up, he's go, he'll probably get the same amount of land as everybody else. But his land is going to be on a hill or something like that. He's not going to get the choicest selection. And so Barzilli, I hope, uh, does something. He says, well, if there's a reward, give it to the baby boy. That's, that's literally what we believe happens here. When I'm at verse 40, when the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away? Remember I talked about the friction that was going on within the tribes? Here's that friction showing up some more. Why, he says, where am I, 41? Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan together with all his men? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? Then the men of Israel answered the king of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and besides, we have a greater claim on David than you have. So why do you treat us with contempt? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah responded even more harshly than the men of Israel. Now, so what's, what's going on? Judah and Benjamin are bringing the king back. The rest of the tribes of Israel find out about it, and they say, hey, wait a minute. Why are you, y'all trying to act like, you know, y'all just doing this? Y'all trying to act like we didn't have, this wasn't our idea, that we weren't the first ones to do this? And they say, well, he's our relative. You know, literally they're saying, this is my cousin. We first cousins. Y'all, you know, y'all distant relatives. And they say, well, hold on, we got a greater part. It's ten of us and just two of y'all. We got a better share of him than you do. And we were the ones that wanted him. Y'all didn't even want him. That's literally the conversation, and they're upset. But the men of Judah, it says, they talked more trash. They spoke more harshly. They, they, they were more vehement in their, in, in, in their allegations than the rest of the ten tribes. So what's going on here? What do you, I mean, what do you, okay, we went through the whole chapter. Now, what do you, what's going on? David has to bring about, and I'm just going to bring it straight out. David has to navigate the politics of the throne in such a way that he brings about reconciliation and restoration. That's what, that's what he's got to do. That's what all this, this is about. It's about how to bring about reconciliation and restoration. That's literally what we have, to, what he's doing here. And the reason why I waited until the end to, 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 to reveal that to you is because we are in a time 
we are in a time right now where we need to be about reconciliation and restoration. And I'm going to suggest to you that this chapter, that this chapter tells us how we can bring about that reconciliation and restoration in our own lives. Because we are kingdom people. And right now within the kingdom, within the family of God, within our own homes, there has been rebellion, literally, Satan has fomented rebellion to such an extent that our families are divided, our churches are divided, there is denominational divide, and in Christianity, there is just a total upheaval. So, uh, because we've allowed Satan to incite us, according to our flesh, just like Absalom, to rebel within the kingdom. And now, God is showing us. I mean, we participated in rebellion in the garden at Adam, with Adam. We, and, and we have been, throughout our history, not just the history of Christianity, but the history of the Jewish nation is all about rebelling against God. And God calls for us to return to him. And, to, and, and, throughout, and throughout the New Testament, you see them writing, Jesus talking about unity, Paul talking about unity, all of the disciples, all of the writers in the New Testament talking about unity and what unity gets us. So how do we restore, bring restoration to our homes and our churches and throughout, and throughout Christianity? This chapter tells us how. First of all, Restoration begins with mutual desire. If we go back and look at, 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 at 8b, what do we see? We see that there is a, a mutual longing for the king. Remember I read that? What did it say? It says Israel discovered that Absalom was dead that and that David, who had led them, was not there anymore, but he was across the Jordan in Maniam. So there was a void. David wanted to come home, and the tribes, the ten tribes wanted them to come home. And then he persuaded Judah and Benjamin to bring him home in order to have Restoration and reconciliation, it begins with mutual desire. You can, you can want him to come home or you can want her to come home as much as, as you please, but until both parties desire each other, until we get to a point in, 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 in our homes and in our in our churches, that we actually desire one another, that we are actually willing to obey the word of God where it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. When we get to the point that we can honestly say that I desire you and that other person or say, I desire you, that is the beginning of reconciliation. As long as we say, that, you know, I won't mind, and I don't care, blah, 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 you know, you know all the stuff that we say, ain't nothing happening. Secondly, there must be a willingness to forgive. There must be a willingness to forgive. There must be a willingness to forgive. To not hold a person responsible for his actions. That's what David did, does with Shimei. Shimei 
Now, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm just going to tell the truth about myself, okay? Cuss me out. Cuss me, go and cuss me out. Go and say all kinds of stuff about me when, I, when I'm fleeing. Oh, when I get my muscles back, there's a strong chance that I'm going to let loose on you. But David is more concerned about the kingdom than he is about himself. Let me ask you something. Are you more concerned about getting your way or getting God's way? Are you more concerned about being right or are you more concerned about being in the way of God and doing things God's way? Are, are you willing to sacrifice your rights and, and pick up that cross and suffer and endure, even though you know that person is wrong as two left shoes, are you willing to just say, okay, you know what? I forgive you. You see, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is you releasing them. And a whole lot of houses right now are divided because, number one, there is mutual desire they want to come bring the house back together. They want that daughter to come back. They want that son to come back, but they can't let that son come back or that daughter to come back because they're still holding on to something. Let it go. Thirdly, you have to identify Satan. You have to identify Satan. You have to identify God's adversary, that person who is being used and influenced to do things that are not of God. Where do you see that? Remember Abishai? Abishai wants to kill. David says, oh, no, you guys have been exercising the rights of your flesh long enough. I now know who you are, and I got to deal with you. So you not only have to identify Satan, you got to deal with him. You have to deal with the satanic influences that are in your life, that are influencing the situation so there will never be restoration. You've got to get on your knees and you've got to, as they say, take authority in your household. You've got to be willing to take authority in your church. And, and I don't mean going getting up in no pastor's face, anybody's face. This battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so what you have to be willing to do is you have to be willing to put on the whole armor of God, and you have to be willing to get down on your knees and do battle with the devil through prayer. You've got to be willing to speak the word of God. You've got to be willing to rebuke the word of God. I mean, you've got to be willing to rebuke Satan and his forces. You've got to, having done all, stand. Yeah, that's, that's really what it's all about. And so rather than, 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 than resting on your rights, once you identify Satan, you ain't got to, no, he ain't got to stay. You got to tell him, you got to go. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. Spirit of Jezebel, I see you. I've caught you. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave and not come back here. You are banished to the dark places where you will await the judgment of God. You must begin to pray in the Spirit so the Spirit of God can direct you into battle and you use the weapon of the Word. You use the authority that God has given you. You use the power that God has given you. The Word says, Behold, I give you power over all the enemy. I give you power over them. And so since he's given you that power, since he's given you the Holy Spirit, 
since he has, has filled you with the Holy Ghost, then all you need to do is you need to let yourself, as they say, you need to let the Holy Ghost loose in you. And stop trying to do it your way, but listen with your spiritual ear and see with your spiritual eye and follow obediently what God has said. He told you to go persuade nobody. You ain't persuading no devil. You rebuke the devil. You command the devil. You tell him to go somewhere. What's the next? So, so, so far, what do, we get, what do we have so far? Well, we got you, there must be mutual desire. There must be a willingness to forgive. You have to identify and deal with satanic forces. Finally, you've got to be willing to share. You've got to be willing to share. You've got to be a giver, not a taker. God has blessed you. Now it's time when God to bring about restoration. You've got to be willing to give. Look what he did with Barzelli. He says, you know what? I'm thankful. I'm thankful that when I was down, that you helped me back up. Now, let me give you something. Let me give. And so he goes about, not just with Barzilli, but even dealing with Zebra and Mephibosheth. We got to stop warring. What does that mean in your house? In your home, in your own home and in your church, what are you holding back? What are you holding back? What are you holding back from your children and not giving totally to them? You see, because that feeds into the final point. When we withhold, we're also withholding the blessing. And we have a, see, and, and so many families and so many churches are withholding the blessing. They're withholding, they're not sharing. Uh, I, I see a lot of churches that, that want to take in and take in and take in and then piecemeal out. Uh-uh. I see a lot of, a lot of, fam and, and, and a lot of families where all, you got this individual who always trying to rake it in and hoard it up and never realize what they're doing. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about emotional and psychological things. There's some people that have never heard from, from their mother or their father, thank you, or I love you, or you're doing a good job. There's, there's some people who have never gotten a word of encouragement within their family. And there's some kids who are just, uh, who 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 are just as bad, who never go and say, Ma, thank you. Dad, thank you. Ma and Dad, thank y'all for getting up every day, 40 in the morning, going out in the cold, going out in the sun, going out in the rain, and working to try to take care of me. Thank you for that. And so because they never learn how to bless, and, they, and they've never received the blessing, you get this, this, this dryness, and there's no reconciliation. And in reconciliation, you got to be willing to bless. Let me show you something. Matthew 5, 24. Come on over here. I'm, we're, gonna, we're starting to wrap up now. But I want to give you some scriptures to, 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 to beyond what we've already been, been through. Matthew 5 and 24. Let's start there. And I might switch Bibles on y'all if I don't like the way this NIV reads. 524. And let me, let me go back. 23, 523. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. What, what, reconcile 
in this, the word that they use here in the Greek, that says mutual concession between parties in conflict. So when you reconcile, what you're doing is you, you, and your, you and your brother, you and your sister, you get together and say, you know what, this is the conflict. We're going to have to make some concessions because we got to get this right. That's what that means. And reconciliation is so important that there is no need of you bringing no offering. There is no need of you paying your tithes because Jesus basically says, when you have something going on against your brother, then you've got something going on against me, and your gift is unacceptable. Preachers don't want me preaching that, but that's what it is. That's what it says. Come on, let's keep going. There's another word for reconciliation that basically says that that word basically says that God, when we're being reconciled to God, God takes our sin on Himself and gives us His righteousness, gives us His peace. That's the other way that you can see reconciliation. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter five. We got to move. We got to move. Got to move. Second Corinthians chapter five. Hurry up, Winfrey. And I'm gonna have, I'm I'm not gonna make it all the way through. Tell you what, write these down real quick because I'm well. I can I can stay with y'all. I just have to cut that broadcast off a little early. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse Let me start at 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me take a minute with that. Okay. First of all, because of what Christ did, taking our sin on himself and giving us his righteousness, we, have, we are now in good standing with God. And this passage tells us that since we have been reconciled, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And how does reconciliation come about? Us having the willingness to announce and do, okay, and do what Jesus did. Announce to, to, in Christ that Christ has taken man's sins on him. And this enables us to do what Jesus did, and that is give good for the bad. Now, we can't take nobody's sins because Jesus took all them sins, but we can be more tolerant. We can be more forgiving. We can be more welcoming. We can endure more. We can be more patient to bring about reconciliation not so much with us, we're an example, but being, them being reconciled with God. That's the purpose of the ministry of reconciliation. Turn over to Ephesians 2, and it says, first of all, well, before, before I go over there, it says that we need to be reconciled with God. What does he say? Be ye reconciled to God. That's what it tells us. Be reconciled to God. How are we reconciled to God? By walking in the way. By walking according to his word. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. We've been reconciled, but we, uh, but, but we sometimes stray away from the word. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going I'm to be a little, just a little bit long today, but don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get through this as quick as possible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. It's important that we understand this. Oh, go, go to 14. Start at 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What's he saying here? What's he saying here? He says that God, that God has taken away that battle between himself and man. By Jesus Christ offering himself up, he reconciled us. He And his purpose was the new man, the new man, not the man who acted after his flesh, but instead the one who lives by the Spirit of God that God can use to bring about the ministry of reconciliation. You see, when we reconcile in our homes, that light starts shining. When, I, when we reconcile in our church, that light starts shining. When we reconcile within, uh, within the body of Christ, the light shines brighter. Nobody is taking Christian serious any, anymore. Why? Because we're too busy warring within ourselves. Everywhere you go, what, what advantage is there to be a Christian anymore, according to what we show? We get divorced more than, more than the people in the world. Our households are just as raggedy as the worldly household. Our churches, stuff going on in there, just as worse than in the tavern. What makes you want to be a Christian? And then if you go to church, they want you to give all them tithes and offerings and stuff. Why, do I, why would I want to go up in there? Those, peop, those lights are not shining. And so we can't advance the ministry of reconciliation. Are you seeing that? Finally, look at Colossians Go back to Colossians real quick, chapter 1, verse 20. And through him, well, let me go to 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus enables us through the cross, to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with one another. What's necessary for reconciliation is willingness, mutual willingness. Do you want to be reconciled? What's necessary is the willingness to forgive and receive forgiveness. What's necessary is us to identify and fight against those satanic forces We've got to be willing to share, and we've got to be willing to bless. God has given us this ministry. He reconciled us to himself, and now our job is to go be ministers of reconciliation, announcing Christ, but we can't do it. We can't do it if we are not reconciled to each other. Let's pray so we can get out of here tonight. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that David gives us an example of all that he needs to go through to reconcile the tribes to one another and be restored to the throne and so the kingdom can be restored. Father, we ask tonight that you would bring about reconciliation and restoration in the lives of your people. We ask God that you would give us hearts that are willing to to bow and, 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 and concede and forgive and do. This is difficult because 
God, we, you know we like our rights. But since we died, oh God, since we died, since we are no longer alive to our flesh, since we died with you and now have been risen with you, oh God, we pray that you would help us to bring reconciliation and restoration throughout the land, announcing, announcing you as our king and showing the power, the power of love, the power that you give us to show forth the love of God. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry for going over a little bit. I got my timing wrong, but in any event, you be blessed, and I will see you next week with the word on Wednesday as we continue to plow through this. We're coming toward the end. We've got probably about four more chapters to go, and we'll have this one whooped. Be blessed and have a wonderful evening. Amen.